0: remember being in math class maybe back in elementary school or middle school and the teacher called upon you to go up to the blackboard they used to be black back then they're now white we used to use white chalk on blackboards remember that and you'd be called up to work out a math problem in front of the whole class So the teacher calls for you to go up and you turn to your friend and say, I have no clue what I'm doing. What's the answer? And he says, 97. And you walk up to the board and you write 97 and the teacher says, well, that's interesting. You got the right answer. How did you get it? And you don't know what to do. He says, I wanna see you work out the problem to arrive at that answer. And you're embarrassed. And as the teacher said to me a time or two, go sit down. (laughs) and shame covered the faith. And math was one of my better subjects. (laughs) Do you know the Bible has a lot of answers, but many of them are useless until you work through the problem? And God has so designed the way we live and relate to him that we need to work through the problems before the answer means anything to us before it has the power to transform who we are and what we do. And that's why the Bible says repeatedly, it says over and over and over again, we need to wait upon the Lord. I call this the waiting game. It comprises much of life. And Psalm 37 is a great place for us to go to understand something more about the waiting game. God wants you to wait on him. As you turn to Psalm 37, this is a psalm of David. We can't exactly pinpoint when it took place in his life. Read the biography of David in the scriptures and you could put it in several different places. Whether David's at war, whether David's dealing with those who are planning mutiny, whether David is in the midst of repentance for his own sin or building something for the name of Jehovah God that brings God glory, David had to learn to wait upon the Lord. Look at verse one of Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. By the way, those are the two responses that you and I often have to evil in our world. On the one hand, when evil is successful, we become fearful. Oh no, the evil people are in control and they're gonna create laws that are gonna persecute the church and we're living in fear. Don't fret because of evil men. And don't be envious of those who do wrong. Wow, I really wish I was like them. I really wish those, I was like those guys, prosperous, you know, wealthy, powerful, influential. By the way, when the church wants to become powerful like the world, she always gets into trouble. So don't fret because of evil men. Here's why. Verse 2. For like the grass, they're soon, they soon will wither. Like green plants, they'll soon die away. So you, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. By the way, seven times in this one psalm, the land, the physical land, we call it the holy land, the Bible lands, Palestine, that land is held out as a promise to God's people. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. So notice verse 3, we are to trust in the Lord. Verse 4, to delight in the Lord. Verse 5, to commit our way to the Lord. And he will do what he has promised. He'll make our righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of our cause, like the noonday sun. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. There it is. Some translations have it, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their evil ways. Have you heard that before? When they carry out their wicked schemes. Because fretting leads to anger, verse 8. So refrain from anger. And anger leads to wrath. So turn from wrath. Notice the progression. When you're filled with agitation, you become angry. Fretting, then anger. And anger, unresolved, takes action in wrath. So refrain from all of this. Don't fret. It only causes harm. It only leads to evil. Verse 9, evil men will be cut off. He mentioned that in verse 2. Those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. He mentioned that in verse 3. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Do you get the picture? You already told us this. Why does the Bible repeat things over and over and over and over again? Any clue? Because we have hard heads and hard hearts. And God often takes the battering ram approach. Boom. Same thing, boom, boom, until I break through, until you finally get it. Evil is going to be gone, and all evil people who hitch their wagon to the devil's agenda, they'll be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord. The NIV uses the word hope. Other translations use the word wait. They're used interchangeably. Those who wait on the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, then the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, you won't find them. But the meek will inherit the land, and they'll enjoy great peace. By the way, that sounds a lot like one of the Beatitudes. Yeah, that's because Jesus probably was preaching from Psalm 37 when he gave us the Beatitudes. Waiting on the Lord. I want to ask this morning three questions about these central verses in Psalm 37, about waiting on the Lord. The first question I simply want to ask is, what is God calling us to do? When he says in verse 37, be still and wait on the Lord. The first thing, he's simply saying, I want you to wait. Now you and I often define that word in a very negative way. Waiting often leads to in disappointment. Waiting, when we don't get what we want, can lead to doubts, referring to God. We don't like to wait. We're not very good waiters. Have You ever noticed that? And yet we do a lot of waiting There's the common type of waiting, where you're waiting in line at the grocery store to buy your goods, and by the way, when you try to choose the shortest line, you always choose the longest line. That's kind of Murphy's Law, isn't it? And you have to wait even longer, and then you get a little irritated. We wait in traffic. We wait at the bank and the doctor's office. We wait at the Secretary of State's office. They've got a nice room there with chairs and you pick a number so you know how long you're going to wait. And there's a monitor that says, buddy, you're waiting a long time. You know, you can't figure it out. I've got number six and they're, they're on number 342. What does that mean? You're gonna wait a long time. So there's a lot of common waiting, but there's, there's more severe and acute waiting, right? Like the childless couple that is waiting to get pregnant. The chronically ill person that is waiting for healing or death. The single person waiting for a mate. The lonely person waiting for a friend. Get out of our culture and go to the developing world and you've got fearful people waiting for safety and some type of protection like in Syria. Or almost anywhere else in the world but around our place. Hungry people waiting for a bite to eat. Now that's waiting, and none of us like to wait. But did you know that one of the greatest teachers of all, maybe second only to suffering, is waiting? That is the teacher who can teach you how to mature and grow in grace and become godly? Waiting's a great teacher. We don't like it. But God says, I'm not concerned about the answer. I'm concerned about you working through the problem. My Bible's filled with answers, but you haven't yet worked through the problem. So I want to teach you something. I want you to wait. The Hebrew word wait, as we mentioned last week, is actually a word that means to be twisted together. It means to weave together or to bind at least two different things into one. And whether it's part of the original etymology of the word or something developed with the definition of the word, waiting means two things. It means having hope, an expectation of a better day, and then enduring or tarrying or simply persevering, biding your time. And it takes those two things and twist them together because that's what waiting is it's spending time in hope and that's what God wants us to do now he doesn't just tell us to wait without any frame of reference he tells us to wait on him wait on the Lord did you notice that in verse 7 wait upon the Lord There are 30 references to waiting in the book of Psalms, depending on what translation you have, about 30 references. Sometimes the word is translated hope, and it's the same word, wait, because wait and hope are synonymous. You can't really have one without the other. You can't wait unless you have hope. And if you have no hope, you won't be waiting. And so the Lord tells us, I want you to wait on me. The opposite of waiting, as we've already stated, is fretting. It's being filled with anxiety. Waiting has the idea of trusting in the Lord. Last week we looked at Psalm 130. This message today is kind of born out of that message because we didn't have enough time to develop all that was in it. Verse 5, said, the, the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. And so the psalmist has determination. I wait. And he has a specific person in mind. I wait for the Lord. And he has explanation. I put my trust or my hope in his word as I wait. And he even as an illustration, I wait longer than those who are watching on the city wall for the dawn of a new day and the release from their tedious labor but all of it is in the lord psalm 39 7 and now lord what do i wait for i wait for you as the hands of a maid looks to her mistress the hand of a servant to the eyes of his master so our eyes wait upon you O lord we're looking to you And I found something interesting. In the 30 references dealing with waiting on God in the Psalms, there is a difference between waiting on God and waiting for God. You know what the difference is? Waiting on God means that I'm trusting one with impeccable character. Psalm 52, verse 9, I wait on your name. And the name of Jehovah speaks of all the glorious attributes that make up his nature, the composite of all the characteristics that are true of his person. I wait on the name that is holy, that is faithful, that is just, that is powerful, that is merciful, that is loving, all the attributes of God. That's the one I'm waiting on. Because if your friend says to you, hey, would you wait on me? Boy, you you don't know what's going to happen. Or worse yet, you know what's going to happen. You'll be waiting for a long time. That person's always late. Could you wait just a minute for me? But when God says wait on me, it's a totally different story because of his character. You see, there's waiting on the Lord, and then there is waiting for the Lord. This has to do with timing. God may want us to have something, but in his time, not ours. Last week, we shared an illustration of Philip Brooks, that wonderful pastor who was normally patient, but one day filled with anxiety. And one of his parishioners said, what's wrong? And his answer was, I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. And waiting is waiting on the character of the one that we know is true and perfect. And secondly, waiting for his time. In his time, in his time, remember the praise course. He makes all things beautiful in his time. So Lord, help me to learn from day to day as I'm seeking your way that you do just what you say in your time, not mine. When in trouble, my soul loves to repeat the name over and over and over again, that name in whom all help is found Jehovah, Yahweh, the one who keeps his promise, Adonai, the one who is my boss. And in those two names, you have character and timing. Yahweh, he will answer his promise, Adonai, when he sees fit. So I'm waiting on God, and I am waiting for God. But how do I wait? That's the next question. How can I wait on God? Well, the first thing is hope. And the second thing is humility. These are the two cardinal virtues required to wait upon the Lord. Hope and humility. Now, some people wait on the Lord with a bad attitude. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever gone out to a restaurant and someone was waiting on you with a bad attitude? You know, you thought you were at Ed DeBevick's or something. This person just wanted to offend you. That's all they wanted to do. They weren't concerned about being kind. They weren't concerned about giving good service. Apparently, they forgot about a tip. And you can tell they don't want to be there. And then you've got a waiter or a waitress and you get the impression that you're the most important person in the world. They are, to be sure, thinking about the tip. (laughs) But they make it like they, they don't want to be anywhere else in the world. They're your servant. What can I do for you? How can I make you happy? How can this be pleasurable? Is the food good enough? If not, I'll take it back. I want to make sure everything is just right. Those people know how to wait. Well, Christians are divided into those two categories, too some lousy waiters, and some good waiters. And we need to learn to wait on the Lord, not with grumbling, but with grace. Not merely tolerating our situation, but truly excited about what God is doing in us and ultimately for us. So we need to hope in the Lord. We need to hope in his word. I mean, that's the key for hope. Hope in his word. Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and I put my hope in the word of God. Psalm 37, look at verse 34. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. In other words, waiting and obedience to the word go hand in hand. And I cannot expect blessing if I'm going to divorce myself from thus saith the Lord. This is my food, this is my guide. And I need to hope in the word. And I need to hope in the word with all of my soul. That again is Psalm 130. I wait on the Lord. My soul waits. Some people wait half-heartedly. With their mind, yeah, I know I'm supposed to wait. With their heart and emotions, they're running far ahead. And that's where we get agitated. We're schizophrenic Christians. I know I should but I don't. Our hope in God's word must be wholehearted, mind, emotions, and will, all married together in trust and obedience to the word of God. I mean, if Jehovah makes you wait, there must be a good reason for it, right? And you need to trust him. Remember Job? Remember the patience of Job? That's what the book of James says. Look at Job for a great illustration of waiting he didn't do anything wrong and yet all these bad things happened to him and what was his response though he slay me yet will I trust him wow that's how to wait now Job failed a few times but at least he started out with the right attitude hope with all of your soul. This is not a formal act that's waiting. It's a very spiritual act. It takes every fiber of our being. Blessed are those who wait upon the Lord. Our faith is increased. Our patience matures. We learn how to submit, and in the end, when the blessing comes, it is far greater just because of the waiting. The Lord's people have always been a waiting people. But we are to wait in hope. Hope means we trust God. We trust his character. We trust his timing, as we were talking about. Listen to Psalm 33, verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He's our help and shield. Our soul shall rejoice in him because we've trusted in his holy name. Waiting and trusting. Waiting and hoping. Synonymous terms. And the psalmist said in Psalm 40, I waited for the Lord. And then in verse 4, Blessed are those who trust in him. So instead of fretting about my situation and being concerned about the world around me, I need to have hope in the Lord, which causes me to trust him, which causes me to wait upon his reliable character and wait upon his impeccable timing to do what he said he will do. There's a second aspect of this process. I need to wait humbly. Did you notice verse 37 said, wait patiently on the Lord? It's a humble wait. And humility means I submit my will to God. That's the essence of humility. And it is best seen when you and I pray. Did you know that much of our prayers, many of our prayers would never be offered were it not for the difficulties we face? James Vaughn said, everyone prays but few cry out, and those who do cry learn to cry out in the depths. The Psalm we saw last week, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Yeah, many of us would not pray were it not for difficult situations, But did you know, get this, it's better for our prayers to be heard than it is for our prayers to be answered. Imagine what a curse it would be if God said, I will absolutely answer any prayer you make. Any request you give me, I will answer. You know why that would be a curse? Because I offer up a ton of foolish prayer of selfish prayers, of carnal prayers. And that's why it's better for my prayers to be heard than answered the way I want them answered because if they're heard by God in his time, he'll answer them by his infinite wisdom, his almighty power, he'll answer them in the right way. Remember Jesus praying, not my will, but yours be done? I mean, if Jesus had to pray that way, do you think you and I should follow suit? Yeah, I think it'd be a good idea. That maybe I don't have omniscience. Jesus did, as God incarnate. He knew the Father's heart and will better than anyone else, and he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. You see, you and I are foolish enough to think that prayer exists for us. You and I are foolish enough to think that God exists for us when the reality is we exist for him Romans chapter 11 verse 36 for from him and through him and to him are all things he is the source he is the purpose he is the goal of everything God doesn't exist for you you exist for God then how come our prayers are like we think we've got a a genie in heaven and a magic bottle or magic lamp called prayer. If we rub it enough, the genie will do what we want. He'll grant our wishes. That's not prayer. Prayer is not me trying to get my will done in heaven. Prayer is me trying to see God's will accomplished on earth. Prayer is not me squeezing God into my agenda. It is me conforming to his. Heard a good illustration of this recently it was a congregant in a church that is very liturgical. A liturgical church often does the same prayers over and over. They have a prayer book and they encourage their congregants to pray those prayers that are written down. Now, it can get too formal and it can become rote and lose its purpose, but it's not necessarily bad. In fact, sometimes it's good to read the prayers of godly people that have gone before, like you would read a commentary or listen to a sermon or like you would pray with someone else and engage yourself with their prayers. But one day a congregant came with this prayer book and said to the pastor of the liturgical church, I don't like these prayers. They don't match the desires of my heart. They're not relevant for me. And the wise pastor said, you misunderstand the prayers. The prayers aren't supposed to conform to you. You are supposed to conform to the prayers. Maybe the question is not how come these aren't relevant to me, but how come my prayers aren't expressed like these godly desires? Did you notice earlier in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart? Maybe your desires aren't right now, but if you delight yourself in God in prayer, he'll give you the right desires to have. Did you ever think about that? Maybe you need to be changed. Did you ever think about that? that maybe prayer is not for much, so much for you to change your neighbor as it is for you to be changed and be a better neighbor. Wow. See, this thing called prayer is a humbling thing. When you bow your head, and your heart is engaged, and your knee is bended, you're saying, God, not my will but yours be done, and I can't do this without you. And that is what is needed If you're going to wait upon the Lord, something called humility. Sometimes God gives us our foolish requests. Remember Israel wandering in the wilderness? They wanted food. Psalm 106 says God gave them their request but sent leanness to their soul. Do you really want more money, God says? Is that really your biggest need more money is that what you want okay I'll give it to you but what you don't realize is this money is gonna destroy relationships in your home you win the lottery and you'll become the biggest jerk on your neighborhood and you'll do all kinds of foolish and dumb stuff and I'm gonna send a spiritual dryness a spiritual dryness will come along with this request because you don't have me first It would be foolish for us to get all of our prayers answered. But when we humble ourselves before the Lord and we patiently wait on Him, then He answers. Now let's ask one third and final question of our text. What has He called us to do to wait on the Lord? How are we to do it? With hope and humility. Thirdly, why should we wait on the Lord? Well, the first answer is found in verse 9. God is going to bless us with physical blessings. Evil men will be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord will inherit the land. For Israel, that was a literal, physical blessing. And by the way, Israel has not received all of their land. There is yet a day when Israel will be reborn and the nation will be gathered together. Read. Romans 11 and Zechariah 12 through 14 and Isaiah chapter 40 and 60 and 65 and 66 and all these promises, God still has something to do for Israel. As we read in Psalm 130, with him is plenteous redemption for Israel and they will be redeemed. That was a physical blessing for them and you and I receive physical blessings when we wait on the Lord. Secondly, there's a spiritual blessing of increased strength. Spiritual strength. Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord and be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. The famous verse in Isaiah 40 puts it so well. Do you not know, have you not heard, that the Almighty God, the ruler of heaven and earth, the creator of everything, he never gets tired and weary, Young people, although they have amazing strength and energy, they get tired and weary. They'll even fall and faint. But those who wait on the Lord will what? Renew their strength. How do you renew your strength? Wait on the Lord. How do you wait on the Lord? In hope, based on his word, and in humility. And when you wait on the Lord, your strength is renewed, your strength is increased, and you will... Soar on eagles' wings. You will mount up with wings like eagles. That means you'll fly above the problems of this world. You'll have a whole new perspective on your problems. God will make you an overcomer when you wait upon him. Renewed strength. And how about this one? You will not be ashamed. And that comes from Psalm 38, verse, or Psalm 25, verse 3. Indeed, no one who waits on you will be put to shame. Paul took these verses from the Psalms and developed his theology in Romans chapter 5 when he said, You know, suffering's good because it causes us to persevere. And perseverance develops character. And character develops hope. And when we have hope, we're never ashamed. Those who put their faith and trust in the Lord will never be put to shame, Romans 10 says. So if I wait upon the Lord, my strength, spiritual strength is renewed. I have hope, and that helps me to wait. Physical blessings are mine, and I'll never be ashamed. By the way, we're living in a day when the church of Jesus Christ is embarrassed to stand for truth. Now, partly we do a bad job standing for truth because we stand arrogantly, self righteously, condemning others as though we were never sinners ourselves. And that's wicked. But we need to lovingly and graciously and unapologetically stand for truth and not be ashamed. Remember John Knox? He was in the midst of civil war as he prayed for his own country of Scotland and Mary, Queen of Scots, who was fighting against him, said, I fear the prayers of John Knox in my own country more than I do all the armies of England coming from the outside. And John Knox wasn't afraid because he knew God. He waited upon the Lord. These are blessings that come from those who wait. If it's worth waiting for, I mean, if it's worth, if it's it's good, it's worth waiting for, we say. God is worth waiting for. And sometimes you have to wait a long time. I don't mean to minimize your wait, but that's what God's people do. They waited in the Old Testament for the first coming. We're waiting in the New Testament, since the New Testament and even to this day, for the second coming. We're a people who wait. We need to be better waiters. You remember the name George Mueller? The great man of faith. If you remember anything about him, he was a preacher who had an orphanage in Bristol, England. And he's famous for having all the orphans sit around the table when they had no food and praying, Lord We thank you for the food we're about to receive. They would say blessing or grace over the food that they didn't possess. And while they were praying, a knock would come on the door and someone would bring produce right while they were praying. You say, I don't believe it. It happened. It's factual. And it happened time and time again. You say, that's faith. Yeah, it is. That's waiting upon the Lord. Well, that guy, George Mueller, he must have never had to wait on the Lord. I mean, he asked and God answered, right? Sometimes. Sometimes. Did you know that George Mueller prayed for his father to become a Christian? And if I have it right, he prayed for over 50 years. If it's not 50, it's decades. And once you get past 10, it doesn't make any difference. He prayed and prayed and prayed, and the answer never came. But he kept hoping and praying and bowing to the sovereign will of God. And his dad ultimately came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Hebrews tells us some of the Old Testament prophets waited and prayed and never received the promise because the promise was for a different age. Are you ready to do that? God's not so much concerned about us getting the right answers as He is us working through the problems because that's how we grow. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this day that we can come to you in prayer and wait upon the God who is trustworthy, whose word is true, whose promises never fail. We can wait upon the name of Yahweh and Adonai, our promise-keeping God who is Lord and master of all. And Lord, you've told us how to wait, hoping in your word trusting in your character, yielding to your timing, and in prayer submitting our agenda humbly to yours. And that those who wait patiently on the Lord will receive rich blessings, sometimes physical, sometimes spiritual, and will have no need ever to be put to shame. We will stand boldly and confidently in the name of the one who is the creator of the heavens, And the earth. So, Lord, teach us to wait and in waiting to grow, and as we wait, to rejoice. In Jesus' name.